When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Tomato, don't you like folks? Oh, I like them fine. But a computer takes less space. I've got my own system. Books, young man. Books, thousands of them. If time wasn't so important, I'd show you something. My library. Thousands of books. Well, we finally got to the remaining issues of Star Trek Year 5. And it wraps up the final year of the historic five-year mission of Kirk and Company. Hi, I'm Bruce Gibson here on Positively Trek. And with me, reading the comics, is Dan Gunther. Dan, how's reading going? Oh, Bruce, really enjoyable. I've been loving the Year 5 series this, like you said, has been a long time coming. We're covering the the final omnibus collection of the, the final five issues. I was looking back and our last episode about year five was Positively Trek number 114, uh, in which we covered epi- uh, issues 13 to 19 of year five. So it's been a while that we've we've waited to cover these last few issues. Well, we were going to do these back in, I think, November. And then the omnibus was delayed, and we ha- and so we decided to wait, and it was delayed till January, and now it's de- got delayed again for April nineteenth, twenty twenty two. But we decided <laughs> to just go ahead and do this now because the issues that appear in this have been out for a while now. They came out mm-hmm. during twenty twenty one, and I've read them as they've come out, and so it was nice to go back and read issues twenty through twenty five. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I did things a little differently. I kind of saved them and didn't read them and read them all just very recently for this episode. So I got to say it was kind of tough to sit on those and not read them because I was really interested to see how it turned out. But I also kind of wanted something new and exciting to be able to read for this show. And yeah, I got to say they didn't disappoint. I really enjoyed uh, reading these over the last couple of days. Well, we're going to go right into them, so if you haven't read them, we are going to spoil things that are in these issues. And if you don't mind being spoiled, go ahead and listen. But I have to say that now reading them all at once, as opposed to waiting, it just goes so much better. Like, I I enjoyed them better the second time around than I did the first time around, because you're just continuing the story in the moment instead of waiting, so it's not as chopped up, and it just it just flowed much better than I expected. Yeah. I think that's part of the reason why I saved these as well, because, you know, I, I figured each one or, or at least a few of them would have very cliffhangery endings. And, you know, I'm an impatient guy. I just, I want that, that satisfaction of knowing how the story ends right away. So especially with these being the last five of the series, it was nice to be able to sit down, start reading issue number 20 and know that, you know, five issues later, I'll have reached the end of the story and a satisfying conclusion. So that was kind of nice. Yeah. So yeah, really it's five issues and then an epilogue because the last issue, number 25 is really it really is just an epilogue. It plays different from the others. So I'm curious to know what you think of that when we get to it. So I'm curious about what you think about all these. Uh, because when I read them, I'm, I'm always thinking, I wonder what Dan thinks about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? 
I, I do the same thing when I'm reading anything we cover here. I'm always kind of wondering in the back of my mind, what what did Bruce think of that part? I have to make sure to ask him about that or whatever, right? <laughs> yeah. Or did Bruce understand what this part meant? <laughs> <laughs> Is Bruce confused? Because there were times where I would read these the first time I read them where I got a little confused at parts, mm-hmm. you know? And I'll touch on some of that when we get to them. So let's go ahead and into issue 20. So we have Bright Eyes, who's the Tholian they they got on board early in the series. And they're here on the ship, and they hear this signal from Vulcan. And it's coming from a tower that's near the uh, the capital of Vulcan. And so the Enterprise goes to investigate. Landing party goes down. Kirk, Spock, and team. And then Bright Eyes goes over to the tower. Spock tries to stop them and Spock is all of a sudden just propelled back to Vulcan's past. So Dan, I just have to know what were your thoughts at this point with the tower and, and him being thrown to the past? Well, the the whole concept of the tower was kind of interesting. I liked that history had changed with the tower being there, but People hadn't realized it had changed because it had always been there, at least as far as their memories are concerned. So I kind of liked that aspect of the the kind of time shenanigan stuff there, I guess. And I, my mind went also to the animated series episode yesteryear. And I was like, fairly recently in the mission of the Enterprise, Spock has been thrown back into Vulcan's past as well, but with the Guardian of Forever. And of course, the much more recent past in his own lifetime in that case. But uh, yeah, in this case, much further back in time on the order of thousands of years. Yeah, I I remember reading this thinking, you know, wait, where did the tower come from and what what's going on with that? And I thought it was pretty cool. I like that, of course, it's Spock that's thrown back. Now I'm thinking about wouldn't it have been interesting if it was Scotty? That would be really awkward. <laughs> Scotty's thrown <laughs> back to Vulcan's past. He's like, what am I doing here? Yeah, so he gets back there, and he is attacked by another Vulcan. He gets into a little fight, and then a group of other Vulcans show up, which stop it, and Surak is there. And But this is where I got a little confused. I'm just curious. I mean, I know how it works now. I thought that Surak got Spock to go with them, but really they threw, they captured Spock with the others from the Separatist group and took them mm-hmm. back. I just remember at the time reading that, it was a little confusing. Was it confusing for you at first? Yeah, it felt a little disjointed as far as who he was with and where he was going and stuff. And yeah, I guess he's being sent to like a re-education camp or something yeah. with these anti Surak folks, I guess. But yeah, it was a little confusing as well because I wasn't sure who he was with or what was going on or who was attacking them and that kind of thing. So yeah, it was a little muddled to me. Yeah, I thought that Surak was inviting Spock to go with them, but there's one key frame that you see in there where they're putting handcuffs on him. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized looking back on it, I was like, oh, wait, they're. They're taking him back with them, but not just like, hey, come with us, but they're imprisoning him with the other separatists that they've captured and taking back to the camps with them. But they're, you know, they're not treating him badly. They're just, they don't really know who he is because he's wearing a strange uniform, (laughs) you know, some strange, he's a stranger in this strange land. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but then back to the future that that would be a good title for a movie, by the way. Back to the Future. I'm Ooh, that's saying. good. We got to write that down. I know. By the way, I was actually listening to the theme song today. It's such a coincidence. But <laughs> anyway, but what's interesting though is that Bright Eyes can see the timeline alterations. They have this ability to see that. So, like Guinan, in mm-hmm. a way, knows that time has changed, but in the current timeline, knows what the old timeline was and that's the same way with bright eyes i thought that was interesting i had that same thought the comparison of of them to guinan i thought that was fascinating and you know i I wonder this is totally off on a tangent but i'm thinking that's maybe what she's going to be doing in season two of picard but okay relax we're talking about year five right now calm down dan calm down (laughs) (laughs) 
I I want to see Bright Eyes in a Guinan hat. That would be awesome. <laughs> there you go. Or Bright Eyes Guinan team up, you know? <laughs> That's the next comic series. <laughs> Perfect. I'm there. <laughs> so, okay. Now, going to the past again, we see Spock there with Serac and learning how that these teachings are happening and the re-education camps. And this is all the things that Serac has been you know, known to do is, you know, teach about not, you know, suppressing emotions, but things don't really happen the way Spock has learned history of this time period. And Serac is a little weird, I would say, because he's not what you would expect. He actually, as Spock questions Serac's conquest and terrorism and stuff, to try to get people to suppress their emotions. And even Spock points out to Serac that that is illogical. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. an emotional response to be doing what he's doing. Okay. I have to ask, what'd you think of the ending of this issue? And then Spock using the nerve pinch on Serac. So this was fascinating to me and to coin a phrase fascinating, I guess, but the idea that, of course, as is said here, history is written by the victors. And I've always kind of wondered in the back of my head, like how somebody could unify an entire planet, you know, all this kind of stuff. And it had me wondering about like, oh, maybe, you know, the history isn't exactly as as the Vulcans have learned it over all these years. And uh, it's, it's interesting. I, I liked that exploration a little bit. And, uh, of course, right before Spock knocks out Serac, we get the stone of Gaul, which that was a beautiful tie into TNG. One of my favorite two-parters in season seven, the Gambit two-parter with the, it's a psionic resonator. Uh, and yeah, I love that whole bit. And yeah, the, the kind of cliffhanger ending of, of Spock nerve pinching Serac that was definitely a, an interesting move on Spock's part, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and I was concerned because it's like, well, wait a second. Isn't he going against the Prime Directive? He's changing the timeline, right? It's kind of going back to the yesteryear thing, right? It's like, was Spock always there? Yeah, right? Had Spock always used a nerve pinch on Serac, you know? Did these events happen? Did Jot really commit suicide with the Stone of Gaul at the time because the reason they were there because of Spock, you know, like he's already changing the timeline of his own people. Yeah, totally. And that was going through my head as well. Like is Spock part of what originally happened? Very similar to the first, the only canon appearance of Gary seven, I should say, which, you know, we'll talk about Gary seven later, but Gary seven's episode assignment earth, they find out by looking at the enterprise's records that the enterprise being in the past and delaying Gary seven and blowing up the, the weapons platform, that was all part of history. They were part of what was supposed to have happened, whatever that means. Right. But so yeah, that was going through my head too. Is Spock supposed to be here and is Vulcan society the way it is because of Spock's influence as well as Sirox. So Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I started to think, does Spock replace Surak in this? You know, yeah. does he become, which again, well, yeah. How does that work? <laughs> you know, because he learns from the teachings of somebody who really was him, you know, but yeah, anyway, that, and that harkens back just a little bit of trivia here, that idea. And I, it passed through my head too, was one of the original ideas for the episode yesterday's enterprise. And it was to involve Sarek, and he was going to end up going back in time and replacing Surak during the That's time right. of the awakening. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I forgot about that. Yeah. And All I right, think well, I feel like they adapted that for Cisco and Gabriel Bell as well. Like I feel like that's where that idea originally came from. Oh, okay. Yeah, that would make sense. That definitely works. Mm, man. I yeah, I watched the those episodes of Gabriel Bell just recently rewatched them i should say i've seen mm. them all but uh, yeah yeah that's that's a really good one so um so let's go to the next issue then or what would be chapter two in the omnibus but this is issue number 21 that picks up the rest of the story this is a two-part story so you know spock is imploring to the other vulcans that 
terrorism shouldn't be used and that's not how you enforce emotional neutrality and that you know the the stone of gold was used as a weapon to bring negative emotions to its user and Sirach was using that that just doesn't sound like a peaceful person that would utilize a tool that way you know and so really in this sh- issue Spock is educating Sirach right I mean, mm-hmm. again, it's like, so is Vulcan history the way Vulcans are today all because of Spock, because he was always in the past and Serac is only the way he was because of Spock? <laughs> yeah, I really wonder. And then the other big thing from this issue is the dissidents. Spock convinces them or tells them they should leave Vulcan yes. and and strike out for a new world. So... This is where my mind really got twisted because we know, and spoiler alert for Star Trek Discovery, we know that eventually Spock's philosophy does succeed in bringing the Vulcans and Romulans back together. But was he also sort of responsible for them splitting in the first place? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, according to this, he was, right? (laughs) This is incredible. (laughs) I don't, like, I'm equal parts like, oh, you can't mess up star trek history like that and also huh that's actually kind of really cool (laughs) i'd like to think that spock wasn't involved and these things eventually played out the way they were supposed to Mm -hmm. but in this situation in this timeline spock is sent back and yeah he kind of gets involved and messes things up a little, but he puts it all on the right track, you know, like maybe the idea of leaving the planet was going to happen soon. He just kind of accelerated it. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and like, because Spock knows how it all turns out. So he's like, Oh, maybe I've done something to mess this up. I better make sure that things go the way I I've learned that they went kind of thing. So yeah. That's possible. Well, it's like the city on the edge of forever, right? Edith Keeler died, Mm -hmm. but she didn't die because Kirk, Spock, and McCoy were there, probably originally in history, but when they were there, they made sure it happened. Yeah, exactly. Right? So, I don't know. All the timey-wimey stuff, you know, just gets all confusing. (laughs) But then I thought it was cool, too, that Spock mind melds with Sarek. That's got to be a trip for for Sirak to see the future and everything, right? And I was also wondering while I was reading this, does Sirak's philosophy kind of change because he sees the society that results from what he's doing? And he's like, oh, that's actually a better idea than than what I've been doing. <laughs> like, I uh, I don't know. Oh, that that gives me a headache. I now I know how Janeway feels. So I know. Yeah. I know. It's just, there's no way all these stories can really fit into one (laughs) continuous story. There's no way that Spock has influenced everything in the universe. You say Star Trek is the story of Worf. Well, it makes it sound (laughs) like it's the story of Spock, really. I mean, it's just crazy. (laughs) Or maybe Worf exists because of Spock. Oh, I'm I'm sure of it. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we all exist because of Spock. Spock is responsible for everything. So, I mean, Spock even helped change a timeline to the Kelvin timeline. So he was involved in that, too. Yeah, that was actually one thought that I had a little bit while reading this as well, is Spock is so central to this story. And if it is indeed what they're trying to get across is that Vulcan is the way it is because Spock influenced Surak to make it that way, like... That's pretty huge for that character. And yet I doubt people reading this will accuse Spock of being a Mary Jane character, you know? Right. I, that thought entered my head and I'm just like, hmm, you know, the, I feel like that accusation would be made of other characters who have been made to be fairly important. But I doubt that would be made of Spock, if that makes sense. It does. And... I mean, of course, this is all fiction, right? So we all know it's not real. But really, the story is about how this affects Spock. It's Spock dealing with his emotional side. Mm -hmm. And to go back to this time where emotions are rampant 
and that we have somebody who's trying to suppress emotions it's the conflict that's going on in Spock himself. You know, he's got the Serac side and he's got the separatist side going on of those wanting to keep emotions and deal with their emotions. And then the other trying to suppress and try to reorder things. And Spock starts to realize that he has not been in control. He's, you know, all these other events that have been happening, especially in the last year and things of this five-year mission, he's having some emotional issues. And this what, leads to the events of the motion picture and yeah as as we find out right at the very end of this issue these events have affected spock quite a bit and caused him to to reflect on all of this as you said and the very final panel of the of the issue where spock in quiet meditation says to himself it appears at long last i have chosen a side yes so Okay, so what'd you think of this story between these two issues? It was fun. It was interesting. It me it gave me a lot of questions, as I think has been clear from what I've been saying. But it was enjoyable. It was beautiful as well to be able to see kind of the the sundering and the at that time thousands of years ago in Vulcan's past. The artwork on these two issues in particular, I think, were some of the best of the all the issues in this omnibus. And with some, you know, minor confusion with some of the story te- storytelling, I think it was fairly well told. I, I enjoyed it. Not my favorite of the year five issues, but I enjoyed the story overall. Yeah, I did too. I mean, it does bother me that Spock may have caused all these things to occur. <laughs> like you said, you know, uh, he's the one who separated them and then brings them back together years later between the Vulcans <laughs> and the Romulans all that stuff. But yeah, the first time I read it, I, I enjoyed it, but I, I, what I really liked the, the idea I liked is that history isn't what was perceived that history, like you said, history is always like being rewritten and it's, and it's not, it's not going to be exact. Like if we were to go back 200, 300, five years, 500 years, whatever it is, we're probably going to see things aren't exactly the way we understood them to be. So that was the part that I really liked. That it's like, oh, Surak isn't this peaceful, loving, emotionalist person. I mean, he's he's just a regular dude with emotions, and he's causing terrorism and havoc to try to get his way. And uh, that was interesting to me. Yeah. So. Just hearing you say that just now also made me think of like the theme, you know, we talked a bit about history is written by the victors, but also the idea of kind of the people of history being larger than life and these paragons of virtue and stuff. Something Star Trek has done before in storytelling as well. Like in real life, you know, what was Alexander the Great really like, right? Or, or anybody from history, King Hammurabi, like who knows, right? And in Star Trek First Contact, we got Zephram Cochran, right? Where Riker mm-hmm. says to him, you know, don't try to be a great man, just be a man and let history make its own judgments. And it was Cochran himself who said that. But, you know, he's a he's a drunk and he's interested in living on a beach with naked women and lots of money. You know, he's not the visionary idealist. And Maybe there's a little bit of truth of that with Surak as well. That is a perfect example of the first contact film with Zephyrin Cochran is a perfect example. I like that. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's going on here. So, all right. Yeah, that was great. So, yeah, we see how these events that affect Spock, we see how that plays out in the later issues. So they're setting up those chess pieces for how it works at the end of year five. So let's go to issue number 22. But before we do that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Thank you so much to our Patreon supporters for helping us to bring you this episode of Positively Trek. We truly could not do it without your support. To join the ranks of our Patreon supporters, such as Carl Morris, Joyce Marin, Jim Stoffel, Dave Garcia, Rick Young, Paul D. Kinnear, and John Blaber, please go to patreon.com slash positivelytrek. You can join at any level to receive perks such as early access to episodes and exclusive bonus content. And at higher levels, there are shoutouts and associate producer credits and much more. Thank you once again for your support of Positively Trek. And now, 
let's get back to the show. Okay, so issue number 22. Okay, I just have to mention this. This is like just the geek in me. So Bright Eyes is honored by Kirk to enter into Starfleet Academy as a cadet. And they're given their little badge to wear, their little cadet badge. And I'm like, it's the badge like Tilly wore. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Now, I could be wrong, but I always thought that the bars behind the the symbol in the discovery cadet badges were to to denote years like in um TNG the the pips that the cadets wore on the collars there was like first year second year third year fourth year and i always thought tilly's had four bars behind it because she was a fourth year cadet because the the yeah. the rank ins- the rank insignia and discovery is on the badge so I was like, I think there's only supposed to be one there, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> you know what? I think you're right. <laughs> you're right for sure. Yeah. But there are four bars. There really should just be one. I think so. But it, it's still cool. Like, it's a really cool little Easter no, egg, y- You've ruined it for me. Now. Oh, I'm no. sorry. I, I've ruined everything. <laughs> no. No. So, okay. No. I have to do what I always do. I have to make it make sense. So you're right. That means four years. So why would Kirk give Bright Eyes four years at the start? Unless he feels that Bright Eyes, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, no, I have it. Okay, here it is. This isn't a real cadet badge that that is Bright Eyes to use. It's Kirk's cadet badge that he has, and he's giving it to Bright Eyes in honor of walking them to the academy but as soon as bright eyes goes to the academy bryos will get their own badge okay i like it i like it there's precedent you know um rom had garrick make nog a starfleet cadet uniform even though he would get his own real uniform when he went to the academy so yeah it's just a little yes yeah okay all right i'll buy that (laughs) okay but now i just realized i don't think that would work because the little symbol isn't that for science or the little swirl it's for operations so operations uh engineering security anything that yeah but is that what kirk studied is that (laughs) we have no idea they've never covered it in prime universe canon so or maybe it's scotty's and scott anyway okay i'm getting too far into this but see yeah there's reasons you know we can make things work there there are ways to make it work that's one of my favorite things about star trek is trying to make things work even though i know it's you know a mistake or it wasn't a big deal they just whatever i want to make it work so or i could be totally wrong about the bars meaning years too i think you're right though that sounds (laughs) that sounds right to me but we'll have to look that up just some other time, not now, because, you know, we're covering this comic. So we're going to go right into this. So the Enterprise arrives on Earth and at the end of their five-year mission, and we have Attorney General Shaw there, and she's running for president. And there's this military meeting going on about the Tholians. And then there's Administrator Renai there, who is also running for president and who is an Andorian that we've met in past issues. So we've met Renai and Shaw in past issues of year five. So there's this whole meeting about what to do with the Tholians and everything that's going on. And I have to say, I just really wasn't into this part. Hmm. Just, it didn't like, I wasn't, I don't know, for some reason, you know what I think it is? I think it's Renai that, drives me crazy i don't really care for her character (laughs) (laughs) no i get that for sure i do have to say i kind of enjoyed uh when spock kind of starts speaking and like very bluntly is talking about harry mudd and you know when we had to clean up your criminal you know he he was a criminal and of course she was working with him before and and like he's kind of reminding them of all of that I enjoyed that a little bit just because like, ugh, I, I really don't like Renai either. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that part was okay. I mean, they're kind of setting things up. They're rehashing things that happened in the past. They're just kind of catching the, the reader up on some things and then where we are in the state of things and what we're going to do with the Tholian. So this is a necessary thing. I remember reading something about, 
it was either George Lucas or Steven Spielberg saying there's that scene that you have to put in like every movie, like in the Indiana Jones movie, where they have to sit around and talk about something just so they can get the viewer up to speed to what's going to be, you know, what, what, how we're setting the story up to play, you know, what's the situation, what is the thing that we're going for? And they're like, that's always like the most boring part of the movie for them when they film it, but it's also the most necessary part. That's how I feel about this. (laughs) Makes sense. Yeah. I can see that the exposition given to the reader for sure. The exposition given to the reader. See, you do it so much better than me just saying these things. I'm fumbling around going, you know, that being Okay. Anyway. So now we get to this other quick little scene where we have Kirk looking back on his son, David. Kirk has this memory of he's climbing up the rocks up to the Marcus laboratory and where he would see his son, David, when he was a small child. And now Kirk is back there right now, years later, David's gone and he lays down some flowers and a book and a note for David or whatever in memory of him. I mean, why, why is this facility on top of this rock? What do you call those rock mountain things in the desert? Yeah. Well, this looks like the, the like really specific one in Arizona, right? I can't remember. That's, I, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Why would they put that on top of that? <laughs> I don't know. It seems like, I don't know seems like defacing some really important natural <laughs> uh, that's what i was thinking yes yeah that kind of bugged me too that was weird yeah you don't expect them to do that i so in my head canon that's a temporary facility that can easily just then take off and move away it's just sitting on, on top and it's kind of tapping into the rock i don't know <laughs> sure <laughs> but this scene didn't really do anything for me it just I mean, I get it, but I, I don't feel like it really did anything to the story. I don't I don't understand why it was there. I don't know. I kind of liked it because it tied into Star Trek 2 a little bit where, you know, he's not going to go visit David because Carol has told him to stay away. So he's left a gift for him, you know, kind of trying to influence him a little bit, I guess. But, you know, not not interfering, not. I don't know. I thought it was touching. I really liked that. And of course, given the whole theme of all of these issues, the fact that it was the Odyssey and given the title of this particular issue of the comic as well, I thought that worked really well. Yeah. I mean, I guess in the overall story of Kirk, that makes a lot of sense. I just didn't see why it was relevant to this story. But the fact that he has been gone from Earth for a long period of time and he's mm-hmm. there now, it makes sense that he would do that for sure. So Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, what happens next? I can't remember here. So Spock then declines Kirk's offer to take command of the Enterprise. Surprise, surprise. And that goes on for a while. They have a, a nice discussion about that. And then Spock gets on the turbo lift and Seven appears and takes Spock away. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about this scene a little bit first. Yeah, I was going to get back to that. I just wanted to put that cap at the end and then say, okay, now, yeah, what do you think, Dan? (laughs) I I loved this. This was so well written. And, like, just the two characters reacting exactly the way I think they would react. You know, Kirk would, in the moment, like, try maybe not to take it personally, but fail spectacularly and get irrationally angry at Spock, even though Spock is dispassionately trying to be as logical as he can to explain his choice and that sort of thing. And Kirk kind of taking it personally and and getting angry and uh, getting passive aggressive, you know, Um, congratulations on finally making your choice dismissed, you know, (laughs) and just that like finality and he's angry gripping the back of his chair and then Spock getting in the turbo lift, angry, obviously. And I just, what a great moment for that character. I really appreciated that. Yeah, I do feel like this is one of the best scenes in the whole Year 5 series. Mm-hmm. Because it does seem natural and they pace it out well. It's not rushed. Yeah. There's a lot of frames here that there's no dialogue. It's just moments. Mm-hmm. 
and it gives it enough space to breathe i think yes it doesn't just like get it over with right it's not just you know spock i'd like you to take command of the enterprise thank you captain but i'm not interested maybe some other time and then he leaves right <laughs> it's not like that mm. yeah there's a whole dialogue between the two which is appropriate for not just the end of the series but the end of the entire five-year mission so we need this moment this is the ending moment that you need between these two characters. And because, yeah, Spock is going through a lot right now from the emotional standpoint, which is one of the reasons he's not interested in command because he's got to figure his own thing out. So, yeah, I really like this too. So, and then, like I said, Gary Seven takes Spock away, which was a surprise to me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I read, and I was like, oh no, is Gary Seven going to kill Spock? Because Gary's not, like in his right mind. But anyway, the towers start to appear on other planets. We see it on Vulcan and Andor and all these other places. And all of a sudden, they the towers start creating this almost like galactic-wide entire Tholian web over the entire sector, you know, going, which, okay, I don't know how you felt about it, but I thought that was cool. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, I, I don't know how this device made Spock travel through time. If that's what it's designed to do is create a Tholian web, but that oh, was cool. It was a really neat idea. Just picture a Tholian web and it's going from planet to planet. It's capturing the whole sector, mm-hmm. which is pretty cool. And that's how the issue ends. Oh no, what's going to happen. Right. So pretty cool. So that takes us to the next issue, issue number 23. And in here, of course we see, the Tholian web going to different places and our enterprise crew trying to determine what they need to do about it. And they realize that they need to take bright eyes to the Tholian elders because bright eyes could show them that the enterprise crew and Starfleet can be trusted because bright eyes has spent almost a year with them and knows that they could be trusted that Maybe Bryce can show the Tholians that they're being influenced by something, somebody, some things that are giving them the wrong information and are using them. Mm-hmm. And I like that as kind of the the end result of his time with the Enterprise crew. And, you know, the whole series is called Year Five, but it kind of didn't occur to me that like everything we've read has been one year and like he's been on the ship for almost an entire year learning from everybody and and now he's going to take that knowledge back to the tholians and and influence them that way and and show them who they're dealing with and and what it's all about and i thought that was really interesting i really cool way to kind of set up this character early in the story and then have it pay off here right towards the end I agree. Yes. I, I, I really enjoyed the character of Bright Eyes, especially as each issue has gone on. So mm-hmm. the one thing, though, I haven't really enjoyed, and I don't mean that I don't enjoy this part of the story, but this character I'm not enjoying because he's trying to kill our crew. <laughs> he's trying to kill <laughs> Kurt. And that's Gary Seven. How dare he do this? You know, but he's got Spock and he's showing Spock the disastrous future of the galaxy. Now this part was pretty cool too, because we get to see all these events that we've seen throughout Star Trek history, all the way from, you know, the movies to the different series and even to the current series. Mm -hmm. I loved that. The, we see the, it's starting with the destruction of the Klingon moon of Praxis and the militarization of the Cardassians, the Zen Kethi, the Borg even, and the Dominion War, the destruction of Romulus, and the synth attack on Mars. It was really cool, you know, showing Spock all this and assuming that he will come to the same logical conclusion that Gary Seven and the Aegis have, which is, you know, they must uh, prevent all of this from happening. And then the last panel is the burn from Discovery in the future. A thousand year wick until the galaxy itself burns. Yeah, so, so I cool. love that they brought those in. <laughs> yeah. But this is the part that really kind of confuses me, is that Gary feels that all these events could be prevented if Kirk is killed, because Kirk is the one who's caused these things. Am I understanding that correctly? Because that just seems wacky doodle to me. Well, 
their their ultimate goal is to get the Tholians to take over the entire galaxy and right. put it into like a stasis. Like that's that's right. the ultimate goal there. Yeah, because they think the Tholians are more a peace loving species and they can help, you know, bring order to things. But he also does that because he thinks, well, that would you know, he needs to prevent Kirk from getting involved. Like Kirk has been a big instrument in causing these things and it just seems so odd to me that he would want to change history based on killing Kirk, which we get to, I guess, a little more later in the other issues. I'm kind of jumping ahead, but yeah, well, I think that's more vengeance on seven's part because Kirk killed ISIS. It like, that's what his main grudge with Kirk is. He just wants vengeance against Kirk, (laughs) but we also find out too, that like the whole Tholian stasis plan, that's not, the actual end goal either and spock kind of learns a little bit more about this plan like he says and i have learned far more of your plan than you believe and we kind of do find out later that like it's putting the whole galaxy or the whole universe in basically a stasis and then killing it all including the tholians yeah which is kind of strange you know it's an interesting concept right yeah, if everything will be peaceful once everyone is dead. I, I guess <laughs> I guess that's true. Well, yeah, because they'll be quiet, right? They're it's all very dead. <laughs> twisted logic, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't really understand what's going on with Gary 7, but it seems as if that, yeah, the death of Isis and all the control that he's been under, it's almost like it's it's stressed him you know and and kirk later points out to him about focus on the mission right well i also think like it's a bit of a story of like the effect that a fascistic society has on someone that they've brainwashed as well like they've they've made him into this thing that believes 100 percent in this mission and and all this stuff and i feel like it's talking a bit about brainwashing a bit i could be wrong about that but that's what it feels like as well yeah i see that too i i I feel like that's in there too but yeah he definitely wants to get his vengeance on kirk because then they go back five years earlier and gary seven tries to shoot kirk at the start of the five-year mission and that's where the issue ends so kirk dies at the no he doesn't die we're just (laughs) we're to believe that gary shoots him and well did Kirk die? Well, of course, we don't think he did, but, you know, let's see what happens. To create another timeline. So then we go to issue number 24, and we see that future Kirk came back to the past with Gary and saved his past self from Gary. And they start jumping through multiple time periods doing this. And it's like this forever fight that goes on through different time periods where Gary just can't kill Kirk because Kirk's always saving himself. That you was think of that? <laughs> really cool. That was fun. Like I find my found myself reading this wondering like Gary seven is wondering like, how is Kirk doing this? How is he following me and, and able to, to travel through time as well. And, you know, we see all kinds of things. We see Tarsus four, uh, you know, the, the site of the Kodos massacre and stuff. And, uh, the Axanar peace mission and, and Kirk as a cadet, like you said, and, um, his childhood in Iowa and my favorite, the USS Kelvin done up in like TOS style stylings. I, I loved that. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> yeah. You know, I wasn't, wasn't too sure about that style because it's like, well, it's not that the Kelvin we see in the movies is from the Kelvin timeline. It's from the prime timeline, but then it falls into the Kel- Kelvin time like that's when the timeline splits right the ship looked that way we saw in the movie it wouldn't look differently but I'm okay with it it's just to me that doesn't make logical sense it just went through a refit at some point this is just before that because he's gonna kill Kirk's dad or something yeah that's fine okay I'll go for that (laughs) yeah this is before the refit I like that see you can make it work well, especially since uh, Captain Rabau says uh, it's an experimental ship design. So I could see them like doing different things to it and refitting it or something at some point. 
Yeah, absolutely. No, I think you're right. Experimental design, of course. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> and I love that they're fighting on that ship, you know? This is I've been wanting to go back to the USS Kelvin ever since that movie came out, and we've never really gotten much of anything from that ship. We haven't got like a spin-off story of that crew or anything. I so the fact that Gary Seven and Kirk are fighting on that ship just delights me. To no end. So thank you very much. Even though I'd like to see more of the crew, <laughs> but I just like that they're doing it on the ship. I do also love, like when all said and done, the final revelation of how Kirk is traveling through time because yes. we find out like basically Kirk just talked Seven down and, and managed to convince him, but that hadn't happened yet. And it happens in this moment that we see and seven is going to give him the servo so he can go back and stop him again. That just like I got there and I was like, okay, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> There's that timey wimey stuff again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Kirk says they were never captains of their own destinies, only pawns on a no win game, which I thought was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, you know, they basically learn from each other, but more so Seven learns from Kirk and eventually backs down. But then McCoy has him later at the end of the issue that's scanning him for gener genetic uh, adjustments that were made to him, you know, and I thought that was interesting that he's put into temporary stasis. Yeah, so... At the end of the, the five-year mission, I guess, Gary Seven is in stasis in Starfleet custody, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Right next to Khan from the Kelvin timeline. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, and then, of course, then Bright Eyes is instrumental in getting the Tholians to back down and reaching a peace with the Federation and such. So it all comes to a happy ending, and that's where the five-year mission ends. Yeah. And and this final page, as Kirk and Spock are having this conversation, and they're they're, you know, Kirk was initially very angry with Spock, obviously, but he's he's calmed down. You know, Spock's still not going to take command of the Enterprise, but Kirk's okay with that. And the kind of slow walk off the bridge during this conversation, the turbolift doors close and the lights go down. You know, if. Star Trek, the original series had had a, an actual end episode. Like I could totally see the staging of this, you know, with the, and the lights just dim and go out and that's the end of the series. Perfect. Yeah, It almost feels like the last episode of cheers to me. Yeah. <laughs> We're closed. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been funny. Kirk just turns around the camera. We're closed and gives him the turbo lift. Yeah, there you go. But yeah, that's it. But it's not really it because we have the epilogue. We had a bonus issue of issue number 25, which actually has just a few more pages than the other issues. I did the count back when, but it's it's not by much. So the previous issues are all 399 and I don't know how many pages, like 30 pages roughly or whatever. This one is a dollar more for the epilogue, and it's got maybe three more pages to it. So it's not mm -hmm. like a much bigger issue, but they tout it as like, you know, oh, it's a dollar more. It's a bigger issue. But it is the epilogue. Now, I have to tell you something before we jump into this. I did not really care for this issue the first time. Oh, I really? Hmm. And I think the reason is because there's not a whole lot going on in here, and there's not a whole lot of dialogue. And when you read this, in my opinion, when you read this a month later, after all these issues come out, it's just kind of like, okay, we waited for what? But reading it all together with these, it works because it mm -hmm. feels like an epilogue. They leave the bridge and now we see where everybody is at the end. But it works to yeah. me better with the other issues than a standalone that you read a month later. Mm-hmm. I I do have to say I enjoyed it and and the advertising around this like you say it was it was advertised and pushed as an epilogue and as I was reading it I had in my mind and, I, and I'm trying to think of like the movies that do this but uh I felt like uh, there's somebody in the audience will know exactly what I'm talking about and what movie this is and there's more than oh maybe did the breakfast club do it I'm not sure where like 
they the characters like they pause on the character and it says on the screen what happened to them years later or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's like, you know, uh and Apollo 13 does kind of a, a verbal version of it where they're they're all get off the ship after they've splashed down in the ocean and Tom Hanks is doing the voiceover and he says, you know, uh so and so uh flew on the this mission and flew the space shuttle having never gotten the measles and so and so jack swaggart went on to this mission and blah 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 and as for me those days on apollo 13 were the last days i flew in space and like all that stuff like that's kind of how i pictured this issue it was just like an extended version of like that if that makes sense and i kind of enjoyed it on that level yeah i can see that because yeah in this issue we have admiral kirk with bright eyes on the Tholian Federation joint colony. So, you know, they're working together. So we see Kirk as an admiral doing one of his admiral duties and he's there with bright eyes. We see Spock resigning and he takes a time to look back at things in his past. I'm just going through this real quick, but we can go in more detail at things we like. Then we have Chekhov Sulu and Susan Ling who are interrogated by these deprived Russians that are in a poor providence i kind of want to get back to that in a moment and then mccoy refusing to return to the enterprise and then he you know looks at something and real you know a picture of him and his daughter and it's her birthday that day joanna's birthday and then we have nyota yuhura on the enterprise that's being refit where scotty is and there's a little hmm, sexual tension going on there and then it ends with bright eyes is now a Tholian shard and signs the Tholian Federation Accord with their signature and Kirk signs it too. So that's mm-hmm. pretty much just what uh, happens in this epilogue. So Dan, I'm curious, what parts were some of your favorites in this? Hmm. I think the Spock part really touched me, even though like there's very little dialogue in it. We're just seeing these memories and Spock's experiences as he returns to Vulcan and sees his mother and all of that stuff. Just one moment in the shuttlecraft got to me, which I thought was really interesting, where Spock is remembering some of the things that recently happened. And he kind of does this thing where he grips his pants, like like his, he is clearly dealing with some emotions. He clenches his fists, I guess. On yeah. his on top of his thighs as he's sitting there and then relaxes them. And I'm just like, what a what a cool moment, you know? Like just seeing this emotion just under the surface that he's trying really hard to control and just really illustrates why he's going back to Vulcan to undergo Colinar. He feels it's like that's the only way he's gonna get through any of this and you know, there's a there's a line in a Voyager episode called Muse where there's this alien planet and they're they put on plays and the the main playwright is getting these stories from Bolana and the actor that has to play Tuvok's role in this story is like I can't play this. The audience is going to feel like I'm either a really bad actor or this Tuvok is an unfeeling monster. And the the writer says, no, they will understand that you have emotions that are stronger than anyone else's that are just boiling just beneath the surface, but you cannot show them because that is what it means to be Vulcan. <laughs> and I just, wow, I love that line. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just so perfectly illustrated here. Interesting. Okay. I like that. My favorite part of this issue was the Ihora and Scotty scene. That was good too. Yeah. I thought this was worth the whole issue just because Scotty's all by himself on the refit enterprise overseeing some things. He's, you know, all alone in this lounge area and there's you She shows up and she's all in a nice dress looking like she's going to go out on the town or something. And they have this nice little meal, this nice little moment together. And we see kind of, you know, what we see in Star Trek five, little flirtation going on there. And, she likes Scotty's mustache and wants <laughs> to go out to dinner with him sometime. And I was like, this is pretty interesting. I wasn't expecting this. So I, I thought that was that was pretty cool. It was cute. A nice little peck on the cheek, you know, and Scotty's like, oh, <laughs> like he was pretty clueless up to that point. And then, 
looks out the window at the Enterprise and says, oh, girl, you might have some competition. (laughs) Yes. Took them a long time to get to Star Trek V from this moment. (laughs) (laughs) But no, I, I like that. That part. The part that I thought, I don't even know what to say about this one. I don't want to say it's my least favorite. I wouldn't say it's my least favorite. It was just the one I was more like, huh? And that was the whole Chekhov storyline. Mm-hmm. Is that where you're nodding your head while I'm getting, were you expecting me to say that? Oh yeah, totally. I could tell okay. by the way you were talking that there was something weird about that one. <laughs> yeah. Did, is it, was it weird for you? <laughs> um, a little odd, but more in the vein of like, I really want to learn more about this. Like, like right. what, what's this little taste of this? Like what's going on? What I want to know more. It has some interesting things to say, which I think is cool. Um, the line, utopia is only utopia by consent. I, I just, I was like, oh, okay, there's kind of a theme here. But it's it's very short, so they don't have a lot of time to build it, I, I don't think. But, like, it feels like there's way more of a story here that I want to learn more about. But, you know, I'm assuming it doesn't, they don't say, they're, they're on Earth. So. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, we have learned in the past that there are groups on Earth that are, don't really take part in the wider society. Like I think uh, in Voyager, they talk about the rubber tree people in South America that Chakotay and his father go to visit and they still live like traditionally in their little area and stuff. So, you know, there's there's groups on Earth like that, but this still seemed kind of weirdly out of place. It did, because as you're going through the issue, we're seeing, oh, okay, there's Kirk as an admiral doing admiral duties. There's Spock getting ready to leave to go to Vulcan, saying goodbye to Starfleet. You know, the things you kind of expect, you know, to see, like, where the characters are going. And, of course, you know, like, you know, later we see Scotty on the refit of the Enterprise, that kind of stuff. But we get to this, and you see Sulu and Chekhov tied up like they're captured. (laughs) I'm like... Wait, what is going on here? I thought they would be like at the academy or something. Like what, you know, and there's guys holding like, it looks like maybe like rifles or something. Or Yeah, they, they call them out as shotguns in, yeah, in, di- in dialogue. I'm, yeah, And I'm just like, what what is happening here? And I'm like, and who's that woman with them, you know? And I was like, and of course it's Susan Ling. Who yeah. Is Sulu. Like, isn't that the mother of Demora? I think so. Yeah. That's what they're implying here. Uh, I did. I did like that, uh, you know, but yeah, weird. And also a mention of Admiral Shran, which was kind of cool. Yeah. But I'm reading this and I'm just, it was one of these things I had to read twice. Like as soon as I read, I'm like, what did I just read here? There's, and they're speaking Russian to Chekhov. They finally like untie them and they're talking about the poverty in their area and that tourists show up and sure they spend money and take things with them and whatever but you know they're 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 poor and Chekhov's like but civilization is being rolled out in the provinces right now just give it a few months and I started thinking well wait so there's areas of earth that aren't in this utopia that are poor and have poverty and all these things and the hope is coming. I, I just thought that was really inter- confusing, not expected, yet interesting. I'm like you. I want to know more about this. Yeah. And and yeah, it seems out of place, but like, I don't know. Yeah. Like you, I just want to learn more. Like I want, I want that to be an issue of this, you know, maybe not this, but I don't know. I need more of this story to kind of make sense of it. Yeah. The way the rest of this issue plays out doesn't lead itself really to like, Oh, what happens next? But this does, right. Mm-hmm. It's, it does feel like they're setting something up to say, Hey, we're going to have this check off Sulu series, mini series coming out soon. So we're setting that up. That's what it feels like to me. Yeah. But if it's not, I want it. I can't imagine they are, but I would I totally read it. I'd be really interested. I don't know how popular that would be, but I'd like to know. <laughs> I would love to know. I, that, really sparked an interest in me. So maybe one day, maybe then they do Star Trek year six, <laughs> <laughs> which is just all them hanging out on earth. Actually, maybe that is possible. They may be playing could a series be, yeah. of what happens between the motion picture and this. So who knows? Mm-hmm. So, all right. Any final thoughts? Well, of course you have final thoughts, but what are they? <laughs> well, overall, like 
speaking for the the entire series, you know, all 25 issues, I've really enjoyed this. I think they they obviously put a lot of work into coming up with some really interesting storylines. And, you know, early on when they were talking about making this series, they talked about having a writer's room and breaking it like they would a season of television. And I think that shows. I think you know, the, the work that they put in really comes across on the page and, you know, maybe there's some choices here and there that I wasn't the biggest fan of, but overall I really enjoyed this series and these final five issues, as we got closer to them, that was the question, right? Is this going to wrap up in a satisfying way? They've got a lot of threads going on, a lot of strange storylines. Is it going to wrap up and and are we going to be satisfied with how they wrap it up? And for the most part, I am. I really liked how everything got wrapped up. And the epilogue, as a just kind of little bonus end cap, I enjoyed it as well. So uh, yeah, definitely, if, if people listening haven't read these issues, I hope, you know, maybe you'll pick up the omnibuses if you haven't already and, and give them a try because... I think that the hard work of these writers and the artists needs to be rewarded because they did an excellent job, in my opinion. Yeah, this omnibus, is, I don't know if we said this at the beginning, but it's called Experienced and Loss. And maybe we did, but just a reminder, it's called Experienced and Loss. But I, I agree. I think this is this was a wonderful series. I can't remember how long it's been going on because we've been covering it for the last three years, I think, at least. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean, we started talking about it back when we were on uh, Literary Treks. And yeah. Yeah. And yes. we're coming up on year our second anniversary of Positively Trek here pretty yeah. soon. So it's been a while, and it's it's been good. I, I can't say anything bad about it. The only things that I've had issues with is what I always have issues sometimes with comics is sometimes I don't think things sometimes they're very clear as you saw in this where I was like, wait, what is going on? What? Like, cause comics kind of move a little faster and sometimes you really have to look at the art to really understand what's, you can miss something if you don't look at the art. Sometimes again, the habit of just reading the dialogue and I'm not really spending much time looking. Right? I, I do the same. And yeah, it's a bad habit with regards to comics because the artwork is incredible too. Yes. It definitely shouldn't be missed, but I, I do that as well. Yeah, wonderful artwork, great stories. I've never read the Year 4 series, so I can't compare it to that. Yeah, me neither. I have them, just haven't read them, but uh, now I want to. If it's as good as this, then yeah, I'd want to read the Year 4 comics. But yeah, this was really good. It If you wish there was a Season 5 of TOS, well, this could have been it in a sense. I mean, it's got a bigger budget. for some of the things that are happening but yeah i would definitely recommend it so i would give this four and a half out of five tholians who are captured onto the enterprise and eventually become friends nice that's really good i yeah i guess i didn't give a rating i'm going to in grand star trek tradition give it a 4.7 out of five there's a 47 in there a 4.7 emotional Spock fist clenches out of five. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's an interesting one. <laughs> the fist clenches. 4.7. I like that, Dan. Um, mm-hmm. I wish I would have come up with that. Darn, that's a good one. So, well, when people want to clench their fists at you, Dan, where can they find you? Well, I hope there's not a lot of fist clenching going on, but uh, if you feel you must, please reach out to me on Twitter. I'm at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm also on YouTube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. And of course, in the Positively Trek discussion group on Facebook. And Bruce, when you're not fostering a young Tholian in the ways of the Federation, where can we find you? I can be found on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. That's Admiral with the underline Rex. And you can find me on Facebook and in our discussion group on Facebook. Just look for Positively Trek Discussion Group and we'll let you in. It's a great group and we're both in there with everybody else. That's great. And we're all positive about Star Trek. And we also have a Goodreads group. You can find me there. We have our book club in the Goodreads 
group that shows all the books coming up for those episodes. So check that out. And also you can do discussions of the books in that group. And then also you can send us an email to PositivelyTrek at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at PositivelyTrek, also on Instagram at PositivelyTrek. And that should be about it. So, And then we also have uh, Patreon. So go there if you want to be a patron. You can do a dollar or whatever amount you want to do. And there's some little extra content in there that we throw in every once in a blue moon. So check that out. And we appreciate all the support that all of you give us. So with that being said, we're at the end of this five-year mission. And this is the end of year five. And we just want to say thank you for joining us and stay positive. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.